0: Glad you had safety and enjoyment yesterday. And we're glad you got tired out on the walks and the volleyball and all that other stuff. I do have some handouts, they're only for part of the lesson, and I apologize, PowerPoint's not working, so no matter how I try, we just seek to have sanctified responses when technology doesn't work, knowing that the power's not in the technology anyways, right? So, it is, it's easy to have something to look at when these words come dancing in on the screen. Well, I'd invite you to, we're going to be taking our Bibles and going for another adventure as we're equipped in the Word of God. We have begun a series a few weeks ago in contemplating what are the distinguishing marks of a healthy church ministry. Not only for what we are to be and to excel still more in being a healthy ministry and pursuing being healthy at a ministry here. But even as when, when we're on vacation and we're looking for a healthy church or people are constantly asking uh, what makes a healthy church, uh, we would answer first and foremost that uh, Sound ministries are made of sound doctrine, and that uh, was our first week where we did a little Bible study in the pastoral epistles on sound doctrine, and we traced that theme through there. We followed that up. If we are to be teaching sound doctrine, how do we teach sound doctrine? And so next, the next week, last week, was expository preaching. We take a book of the Bible and we work through, walk through it a Chapter at a time, a paragraph, a verse, or at times a word of the text. And we follow the author's flow of thought from the first verse until the last verse, unpacking what God means by what he says. Because if we don't unpack uh, the meaning of the scriptures, we don't have the scriptures which God promised to bless. And so we've got to make sure to uh, get the meaning of scripture out there. Another foundational stone on which. Biblical ministry is built is an accurate understanding of the heart of Christianity, which is the gospel. What makes you a biblical ministry? That you are a gospel ministry, that it's all about the gospel. That anywhere you look at the ministry of the local church, you better be able to find the gospel and not have to look far to find the gospel because you haven't made the main thing the main thing. Gospel priority. Gospel priority we've been given one message we've got to make sure to get that message right we need to be gospel experts in our day making it a priority since so much is crowding out the gospel so many offering even when 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 people ask you on the job or in your in your neighborhood uh, and you you might stumble and stammer, wonder how are we going to get to the cross from here automatically, uh, so that you're not just offering blessings and benefits of the gospel without Christ, without the full whole enchilada of uh, denying self, taking up your cross daily, and following Him. The message in our day has been crowded out. It's been confused. Matter of fact, I ran across a story this uh, this past week. According to this account, a little over a hundred years ago, the editor of an English newspaper opened a copy of his paper after it was already for sale. And you ask any of our resident editors in the church, you ask Barbara, you ask uh, Melissa or something, and the most painful experience is after you've edited something and it goes into print, you find more typos and issues. One of the most horrific experiences I could give you from my own testimony is uh, no matter how much uh, we edited my dissertation, when it was bound, we found more stuff to do. And, and uh, so this is the chagrin of this uh, uh, news, English newspaper uh, editor in uh, finding the most embarrassing, unintentional typographical conflation of two stories mixed together. One about a patented pig killing and sausage making machine and the other about a gathering in honor of a local clergyman, the Reverend Dr. Mudge, at which he was presented with a, golden, uh, a gold-headed cane. A portion of it read as follows and uh, you know, it's kind of comical so I must, must share. Several of Reverend Dr. Mudge's friends called upon him yesterday and after a conversation the unsuspecting pig was seized by the hind leg and slid along a beam until he reached the hot water tank. Thereupon he came forward and said that there were times when the feelings overpowered one and for that reason he would not attempt to do more than thank those around him for the manner in which such a huge animal was cut into fragments was simply astonishing." The doctor concluded his remarks when the machine seized him, and in less time than it takes to write it, the pig was cut into fragments and worked up into a delicious, delicious sausage. The occasion will be long remembered by the doctor's friends as one of the most delightful of their lives. The best pieces can be procured for ten pence a pound, and we are sure that those who have sat so long under his ministry will rejoice that he has been treated so handsomely." Unquote. Christianity is all about the news. It's all about the good news. Really the best news the world's ever heard. And yet that news, far more important than the story about Reverend Dr. Mudge or the sausage machine, is often every bit as scrambled and confused in places that call themselves churches. By people that call themselves Christians. That which passes for the gospel too often becomes a very thin veneer spread lightly over the culture's values, becoming shaped and formed to its contours rather than to the truth about God. The real story, the real message becomes lost. Muddled message. A healthy church is a church in which every member, young and old, mature or immature, Unites around the wonderful good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. So that every text in the Bible points to it or some aspect of it. So it doesn't matter if we're even in the dark continent of Scripture and the minor prophets for our Scripture reading. Say in the book of Amos like we're finishing up this morning. Where the restoration of all things is still there. So the church gathers week after week to hear the Gospel rehearsed once again. To be unpacked to one more level of the gratefulness of Kingdom Kids of what God has done in His own beloved Son. So a biblical understanding of the good news should inform every sermon, every act of baptism and communion, every song, every prayer, every sermon... Every conversation is flavored by the gospel. More than anything else in the church's life, members of a healthy church pray and long to know the gospel more deeply. Why? Because the hope of the gospel is the hope of knowing the glory of God in the face of Christ as Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 4-6. It's the hope of seeing him clearly and knowing him fully, even as we are fully known. It's the hope of becoming like him as we see him as he is. Now, the gospel, as we've said in different ways at different times, is not the news that we're okay, it's not the news that God is love. It's not the news that Jesus wants to be our friend. It's not the news that He has a wonderful plan or purpose for our life. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrificial substitute for sinners and rose again making a way for us to be reconciled with God. That's the message that God has entrusted to us. There are... Leftover vestiges of a lack of understanding of the gospel, even in many believers' lives. When I was uh, doing another biblical counselor training this week, I figured we'd touch another golden calf in evangelicalism. And that golden calf was the false gospel of self-esteem that not only is out in the world, and uh, one of my opening illustrations that I brought in was uh, as we've taken some of our kids down to the job service at uh, Newtown Youth and Family Services that are putting our kids' names out there as those that have gone through their program and everything. And I I picked up a flyer there of different things available to the young people here in Newtown. And one of them, I wish I'd brought it with me, one of them was uh, a girls' club... Uh, in which they could have their uh, self-esteem improved. And, you, know, you expect that in, in, uh, out, out in the world somewhere, but you look at how it's infiltrated the church, especially in the church's message of I'm okay, you're okay. And there was some a little dialogue that took place where... I, I think of one person, it, it's basically one, a person wanted to stand up on their uh, soapbox that uh, total depravity isn't as total as what the Bible teaches that it is. And you know, I'm, there's really some kind of though it wouldn't be phrased this way about uh, uh, there being an inherent goodness of man, that was the argument that was going forth, that I'm not as bad as I really am as the Bible testifies to. So that's not the news about I'm okay, you're okay. Think with me for a moment through the PowerPoint you can't see on the uh, black screen here. And your, your handout there, the gospel, the good news, to make sure that we can think clearly so that if you have that pop quiz from the answering machine when you get home today from church of the friend or loved one who's got somebody that died and needs the good news or tomorrow morning when you hit work and God hands you delivers you that opportunity to testify of the greatness of God in the face of Christ the one who has conquered sin on our behalf that you can speak up at a a moment's notice God reveals in the Bible the stark reality about Himself, about man, and about what man must do to spend eternity with Him rather than experience His wrath and punishment for our sin, our rebellion and the eternal conscious torment in hell. You see, man wants to carry on life on his own terms. So that is one of the best ways to make a segue for the Gospel, to confront Man, at the moment of his departure from the truth, man wants to eat, drink, and be merry. But only the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. So we share with them the good news. Where do we start? The first word of the gospel is God Himself. Notice that slide on God. God created you and owns you and everything. That's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Where does the gospel start? Where does the evangelism start? You establish that God's created us all. And He owns us all. Psalm 24.1 The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. When you start the gospel this way, with God as Creator, you have just utilized God's greatest evangelistic tool in man and outside man. When you go right to the Creator God, you've gone to creation that testifies to there being a God. And you've gone to their conscience who testifies that there is a God. And you have just... Uh, unleashed the Spirit's arsenal on your evangelistic opportunity When when you go right to God as Creator. And right then, as you establish Him as Creator who owns it all, you then mention about Him things that maybe their conscience or creation doesn't testify to them about which only comes by divine revelation. That God is holy. Absolutely holy. That's the first bullet point on that slide. He's absolutely holy. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5.48 That's what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. God's bar. So they're not comparing themselves to the axe murderer or the rapist in jail. But they're automatically the bar is set as an impossible standard perfection. Absolute holiness. His law demands perfect holiness. Since He is holy, He requires you and I to be holy. James tells us in James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law, and yet, how's the verse go on? And yet, stumbles in one point. Well, I've kept this part of God's law and that part and that part. Yeah, but God goes right and stands over the one area where you will at least acknowledge your departure. You're guilty of it all, James says. So He's absolutely holy. His law demands perfect holiness. Because He's holy, He hates sin and therefore sinners cannot stand. What you've done by establishing God as you've torn the rug out from under unredeemed man with no leg to stand on who is reduced by God's law as one that is a law breaker not a law keeper so it makes a perfectly easy segue into the next slide mankind so if God is the first word of the gospel the second word of the gospel is mankind what does he tell us you know so so we tell them what the Bible tells us about God and then we tell them what the Bible tells us about them That there is none righteous, not even one, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3. Whether you want to stand on verse 10 or verse 23. And because we're not righteous, because we fall short of the glory of God, we fall short of the purpose for God creating us for his own glory. Sin makes true peace impossible. Man's on this... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he, he's on this uh, journey or this escapade to try to find peace and he's searching all the wrong places. Whether it be through the, the, the booze or the prestige. Whatever the case. Everyone wants peace. They want the absence of conflict and guilt. But sin makes you worthy of death. Worthy of death. The wages of sin is death. That was pronounced in Eden, both physically and eternally. That the day that you eat of the fruit, the day that you break my law, you will surely die. Death. Worthy of death. And so sinners can't do anything to earn their salvation not by deeds of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. So it's, it's not a, a matter of what I learned in uh, high school history class by one of my teachers that uh, uh, I remember the guy's name was Warren Myrick. Why do you remember like a, a your... High School history teacher from years ago. You don't remember anything about your childhood except for this. But uh, I remember because it made such an impression. I I'm, was I'm, I'm sitting there in class thinking, I'm a religious hypocrite, and yet even I know that that's stupid. You know, he used, he used to constantly say that uh, my, my good is going to outweigh the bad. You notice the background on your PowerPoint slides there? What do you got there? A scale. Yeah, because man so often wants to think, you know, my, my uh, good deeds will outweigh my, my bad. We need to help mankind see that as God describes him, even your quote unquote goodness. You know, they, people want to use a poster child of Mother Teresa or any other selfless and sacrificial pictures of man's goodness. But even our best goodness is tainted by sin. Our best goodness is imperfect. Wrong motives. Insufficient. So, so when, when, the, when the law reduces us as lawbreakers, it's not just a matter of what we've done wrong, but what we fail to do right. What we fail to do right. We aren't right. It's not just our actions, but our wicked hearts. We're not perfect. If God's requirement is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might, the Hebrew meaning your muchness, but there is no good English word meaning muchness. If God's requirement is you are to love me with everything you are, have, and hope to be, have you done that? No. It's only a Christian that's going to be honest enough to say, you know what, God? I fail you miserably in offering you what what you deserve as perfect love. I don't lo- so it's not just a matter of us breaking God's law, but we haven't fulfilled His law. So, matter of fact, we've been dancing all around it. Go with me to Romans 3. Because if there's one passage that, you know, we, we said, okay, we, we start the Gospel in Genesis 1.1 1, 1, and Psalm 24.1, God's Creator. He owns everything. He's perfectly holy. Romans 3, notice God's complete description which Paul borrows from Isaiah in giving a picture that from the top of man's head to the tip of his toe. Here here is a a theological anatomy lesson. You know, we, we don't think right about God. We don't speak right about God. Our feet are quick to shed innocent blood to do wrong. In Romans three, notice with me in verse uh, verse ten through eighteen. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands, there's none who seeks for God. Now, right there in two verses, three times, the repetition of that little word, none. Speaking of completeness. Not a single one. Verse 12. All. So we go from the none to the all. (laughs) All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an empty grave with their tongue. They keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are... You know, with this uh, mouth being full of cursing and bitterness. So it's not just a matter of reducing... uh, people to, uh, are saying bad things, but it's who you're saying them to. When your child here's a great evangelistic lesson for our kids. When, when our kids are showing hatred to one another you know, they don't want to share well that's putting it nicely if they don't want to share that means they want to hate each other they're selfish they're ingrained, uh, they're, they're inborn. Everything's all about hate me. I love me, now you love me. What a, what a great tool for the Gospel that Paul gives us here. How, how, they, how they speak, how they interact. Their, their feet are swift to shed blood. You don't give me what I want, I'm going to get it from you. Destruction, misery are in their paths. Think about the people that you try to share the gospel with and are still trying to pursue peace apart from Christ. And they're making a train wreck of their lives. And they're suffering the consequences of the seeds that are sown. Someone tells us that the way of a transgressor is hard. A lawbreaker, it's hard. Maybe the punishment that they get meted out on them is not the prison But there is consequences to sin. You sow to the flesh. You reap corruption. Destruction and misery are in their path. They haven't chosen the path of righteousness. Verse 17. The path of peace they haven't known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That's the crux of the issue. They don't fear God. Your message, I trust, begins with God. It continues with mankind, a biblical description of who man is. And once And only once the law of God reduces us to rubble and our, our, our sinfulness and our death apart from Christ. Christ comes into the picture. If I can't work my way to God and earn myself into His favor, if I can't get to God, God had to come to me and He could come. He robed Himself in flesh. And here's where the extremely bleak, news, uh, bleak word of the Gospel starts getting good. Christ came. This is the good news about who He is and what He's done for sinners. That He is eternally God. He's Lord of all. He became man. He came to earth as God and sinless man. The God-man. Paul would write to the Colossians in Colossians 2.9 that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You know, think about what it must have been like to grow up with Jesus. When Jesus went back to his hometown and they think that they really knew who he was. You know, we, we know his parents. We know his siblings. There was no denying that God was with them because he never swore. He never disobeyed his parents. He showed perfect love to his Father in heaven. I mean, they, they saw God demonstrated to them. There was no excuse for denying him. No excuse whatsoever. He's eternally God. He's Lord of all. He became man and yet, though He was man, He, he was utterly pure and sinless. He, he became a sacrifice for sin. He shed His blood as an atonement for sin. He died on the cross to provide salvation for sinners. Through this cross, God's love was demonstrated. He demonstrated His own love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 That God demonstrated Took him who knew no sin, the man who never experienced sin of his own, and yet the sin of man was placed upon him, so that man could be clothed in his righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. The God so loved the world. You know. When, uh, when I was doing that lesson this week on the, uh, the uh, self esteem gospel, you, a lot of times people want to give uh, the, uh, the good news of I'm okay, you're okay, right? God loves you and has a great plan for your life. You're so great, God sent his son. No, you're not so great. God is so great that he sent his son. That doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. But the way He showed love, this eternal Trinitarian love for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this inner Trinitarian love, He sent His Son to die for mortal man, undeserving as He is. So He became a substitute. And He rose triumphantly from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, 4, He was buried. Why was He buried? To prove He really did die. He wasn't just faking it. And that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, Paul says. As you think through a readiness of the good news for that phone call, that voicemail, that opportunity this week, introduce them to God, introduce them to mankind themselves, to Christ. Fourthly, about this simple message that God has entrusted to us, what must you do? Sinners. And by the way, before I forget to mention, I I forgot to grab them, but uh, when we were doing our gospel readiness series here in Adult Sunday School on on being ready for the gospel, I prepared these cards and I forgot to bring them, but it goes through this message about God, man, Christ, and and sinners, and I'll uh, make sure that I remember them next week. But this this last this uh, fifth slide here. What must you do? Because when you have taken the the few moments to sit down with that loved one, that coworker, to go through the good news, if you discharge your duty, make sure you leave them with a heavenly burr under their saddle. If they, it's not enough to know the gospel, but they must respond. What must they do in response to what You have just told them? Repent of your sins. Repent is a verb. Something to be done. The good news is not something just to be received. It's something to be responded to. The good news is an action. So the Bible describes it as Uh, repent or turn. Turn your heart from all that dishonors God. In Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. If we're speaking with verbs and action, you're telling them repent, You're you're telling them turn, you're telling them trust. Trust. Trust Christ as Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, He is Lord. You tell them that you're to bow to Him as Lord, no longer yourself as Lord of your life. But if you confess Him as Lord and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. So you make sure, you know, here, here's just a, a common sense key, when you're communicating with somebody and somebody tells you something, you rehearse back to them what you think that they're saying for them to affirm, yeah, this is what I'm indeed saying. Otherwise, you assume things. Don't assume that they understood the gospel. So you kind of put this clincher in there. Now that you are aware of God's law, Christ's lordship, you need to... Turn from sin, obey, and surrender to Christ because of judgment in hell. Please respond. There's that urgency. To that zeal, that passion. I don't think people really understand the doctrines of grace or what some people call Calvinism if they think that they are above pleading and begging the lost to come to Christ before it's too late. They do not understand it. Just because God is absolutely sovereign and man is responsible does not mean that you and I with our conviction do not come to them and plead with them to turn to Christ before they face Him as judge. To urge them that if they respond in repentant faith to follow Jesus Christ it will manifest itself. It will manifest itself in confessing, confessing sin. First 1 John 1, 1.9 It will manifest itself if they truly respond. Let them know before you leave them to themselves that if they are truly turning and trusting and repenting, it will show itself in loving brothers. First John 3.14 It will show itself in obeying God's commandments. It will show itself in doing the will of God. It will show itself in keeping God's Word. It will show itself in doing good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 10 For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But He has prepared us unto those good works. So as you conclude your evangelistic encounter with that loved one or friend or co-worker, though... Their goodness can't save them because it's tainted by sin. If they truly respond, it will produce goodness, good works. So you ask them one more time because you're not sure to see them or talk to them ever again. Will you repent and believe? So that they respond to that question either in the affirmative or in the negative. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent, Acts 17.30. Therefore, that is the gospel, that is the good news. So much of what goes on in the name of the gospel in churches today. Many are appealing to unredeemed man and what they want. Man does not want to deny himself, take up his cross and follow him unless the Spirit of God is active in their life and active with the message of the Gospel. Lots going on in the life of churches called ministry. But in many cases... It is not gospel enterprise. What makes a healthy church is that it's all about the gospel. So that... Is there a food pantry or soup kitchen? Well, is there the gospel in the food pantry or soup kitchen? Is it for gospel enterprise? We could fill in with other examples of other ministries that go on. We'd mentioned last week in contrast to expository preaching and, and teaching and equipping the saints to do ministry, there's a lot of gimmicks in churches, a lot of gimmickry in the pulpit. So, the message that we've been entrusted is not simply we're okay. It's not that God is love. It's not that Jesus wants to be our friend, our buddy. It's not that we should live rightly and morally. Though Christianity leads to a righteousness and a morality, a healthy church knows the gospel and a healthy church shares the gospel. Let's make sure we're in line with that. Would you pray with me? Father, give us boldness. Give us faithfulness. That every day we would be contemplating who we could point to the cross of Jesus Christ give us a readiness to make a segue from any conversation that we're in any conversation about the sports and the weather about the economy about life constantly thinking in the background of how we can move it to Christ and what they will do with Christ give us a passion to our evangelistic effort A proclamation that they must repent, they must flee to Jesus so that they could have Him as their Savior rather than experience Him as their judge in the end. Make us more Gospel experts that we would know clearly what it means to be justified by faith in Christ alone. And day in and day out, week in and week out, as we gather corporately on the Lord's Day, might it be to celebrate the glory of the gospel and the good news to be found in Christ and Christ alone as we unpack the scriptures in the gospels and we see the promises of the prophets all pointing forward to the climax of redemption. Might that be what extracts gratefulness and thankful service We give you all the praise for Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we ask it. Amen.